to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, resilience, COVID, supply chain management, crisis management, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, we're going to talk about something that uh, I'm a little curious about because it's a little bit different than other topics that I've talked about. We've talked about supply chain management before, but we haven't talked about supply chain security. So I'd like to welcome to the show today someone who's going to give us some insight into this, Andrew Owlett. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. Now, I know you and I have gone back and forth, um, and I know uh, a little bit about you. Could you take a minute or two, though, to let our listeners around the globe know a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got into what you do? Sure. So um, over the last 17 years, I've been in the broader resilience uh, space. I started out as a first responder. I was a firefighter and EMT and got into continuity planning um, by way of that and training and exercise development, and then eventually pivoted out of public safety and went into consulting, did consulting for about seven years, um, across healthcare, defense, national security, higher education, um, to, to name the industries, <laughs> and then um, eventually pivoted my way into uh, private sector tech, um, where I am today, and um, I, I head up global IT supply chain security um, uh, for Fortune 5 company. Um, so a lot, lot of different pivots along the way, but um, my, my core competencies are really business continuity planning, crisis management, um, and then broader security elements like threat management, um, Intel, and stuff like that. Oh, well, great. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. Uh, you say that now. It's so early in the morning. <laughs> Will you feel the same way later today? <laughs> no, not at all. If you ask me in eight hours, uh, I'll say I'm I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let let's jump into what we're going to talk about today: supply. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, supply uh, chain security. So, what is supply chain security? Because we're always hearing supply chain management, but what is supply chain security? Yeah, it's um, not not to twist the words around, but it's securing the supply chain end to end. Um, it's making sure that products and services, um, however they're transported physically or via the the internet, um, are are secured. So I like to think of it as on the physical side. Um, you you typically hear about well, maybe not um, raw material providers. They build, they they source and build equipment. Um, and those, those pieces of equipment get shipped from point A to point B. And eventually they make their ways um, to, to 
the geographic region where their final destinations are. And each touch point along the way presents an insurmountable amount of risk. Um, and making sure that you manage that, understand what it could be, put controls into place, um, and really get ahead of that. So you don't have that, that, that's a secondary thing, putting controls into place, but really getting foresight into what those risks are is, is really the heart of it. Uh, and that's on the physical side. Then you have the cyber side, which is more like software, um, software, like third-party type of, um, supply chain risk. And, and that's a little, that's a little different, but making sure that where software is being developed, how it's being developed, where it's being stored, and then how it's being transferred. And of course, putting controls into place is another aspect of that as well. So physical cyber, and it kind of comes together. Um, and it's, it's interesting. Well, you touched on a couple of uh, bits there. A lot of times when we think of supply chain, um, and really you hear about this and see this on the news, that it is, as you say, the physical side of things. But if I'm understanding you correctly, it's also the uh, technology side of things, the cyber. It, it's not just the the physical product, you know, here's a roll of steel, you know, <laughs> for a plant, but it's also the electronic stuff and yeah. uh, technical expertise that gets delivered. For for sure. And actually before before I touch on that, it's it's interesting. You just brought up another point, and that's the news. Look, we're we're two minutes into this or three minutes into this, and we're already going down a tangent, Alex. You warned me about this. Yeah, I told you. Um, it, I always go off script. <laughs> you, you, you did. Um, the news is really interesting. Like what one of the things, let me let me take a massive step back and kind of like explain my team construct because I think that'll give some really good context context here. So Effectively, today, we have four pillars um, on my team. Um, we have a real-time threat intelligence component, which is effectively like a radar scanning the horizon, trying to catch the next disruption. Um, that, that's one piece. The, the second piece is a business continuity piece, business continuity with supply, with suppliers. And then within, um, we, we have an internal fulfillment network within that as well. Um, it's all kind of interconnected there. Um, the, the third piece is an investigations component, really looking at um, under the surface, who are we working with? How are we working with them? Um, what type of data do we transfer back and forth? What type of products do we get? Stuff like that. And then the fourth piece is more of like a cyber risk piece. And that's um, um, taking those investigations, um, taking that real-time threat intelligence, taking that business continuity and tying it together to provide some sort of supplier cyber common operating picture. So the reason I mention all of that is because you mentioned news and news is so hard to weed through like on the surface. Like uh, I, I think I like to describe um, the news as um, it's, it's a great like outreach tool when it's accurate. Um, but when it's not the misinformation and combing through that is really hard for an ordinary person to comb through, especially when you're getting like multiple different news sources mentioning the same thing. So I have dedicated tech and I have a dedicated resource to, to look at that and comb through the misinformation so we can pivot 
um, based on the best information we have. Now, those signals that we get come from different angles. They come from the news, they come from our suppliers, they come from our procurement team. You know, there's a lot of different things there, but piecemealing that together to provide like one Intel picture effectively is extremely important. The news, like just on the surface may not do that. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, the other thing I want us to touch on is you mentioned putting controls in place. Uh, both for physical and uh, for uh, technology, cyber. Who puts them in place? Because it's got me thinking, you know, company ABC is my supplier. I see all these risks. I need to put um, uh, controls in place, you know, mitigation factors along the way. But ABC's supplier may just say, well, I don't care what you do. Here, Here it is. I'm just sending it to you. Or they may have their own set. So who puts those in place? And how do you validate that those controls along that path work? That is the the million dollar question. <laughs> it's, it's um it's a really important one because at at the end of the day, we we live in a world where we, we still have some archaic business practices of handshakes and verbal agreements. And I, I say that because across the board in business, that happens. And unfortunately, when the rubber hits the road, um, not having anything in writing is, is one of the, the worst things. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think we, we actually may have seen this in the last two years and we're, we're still seeing some of it now with um, semiconductor constraints. A lot of companies have struggled to get semiconductors because of the contraction and advancement of like tech uh, during the beginnings of COVID until now. And the, the output in production just could not like increase rapidly enough to meet consumer demand. And now, now it's catching up, but people are purchasing less and we're going into a recession, allegedly. 50 to 70% chance of it. But anyway, that's a rant for another time. Um, my point is um, having um, legal controls up front and center um, is extremely important because if you don't have that, if you don't have the, the, um, the, the, the boundaries set, um, and if you don't put in to your legal documentation how you're going to assess supplier capabilities and what expectations are, um, it's, it, you, you're not going to get anywhere. Now, some suppliers won't, won't accept the terms because when, when you start digging into a supplier's supply chain, there's a lot of proprietary stuff that they just don't want to give the keys to the kingdom away. So mm-hmm. get, getting around that is interesting. And I'm still working through a lot of this, to be honest, because it can be challenging. Um, be, when you get two legal entities together and they say, we want to do this. We don't want to do this. And you have to figure out a way to meet in the middle. So some of the ways that folks do meet in the middle is through more of a self-assessment route. That's okay, but it's heavily biased. It's, mm. it, it's, it, it's what, whatever, whatever you decide to, to kind of grade yourself. Uh, I mean, it's, it's how you interpret um, the definitions and the scoring and everything. And it's not, it's not very subjective. It's very objective is what I'm trying to say. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, do you share that information? Because if you're doing a self, two partners, both doing self-assessments, kind of, you know, how do you bring them together? 
Yeah. Know? Yeah. That's a, it's a, it's a great question. So um, it, it, it depends. I hate that. I hate saying it depends, but um, so, sometimes it's one-sided. So if you, if you have somebody that's a purchaser purchasing equipment from a supplier um, and the purchaser wants to understand the supplier's capabilities, it's a one-way type of dialogue. Um, but as we know, in, in any world, uh, you, you need to kind of have a give and take. You need to, you need to um, be able to lend a hand, ask for something, lend a hand. Like it's, it's never a one-way dialogue. So sharing it hasn't historically went too well, to be honest. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it's all pretty and it's all working out. Um, but when, when you're the, when you're the, when you're the, when you want to be the receiver of information and you're asking, and it, it's just, it, it, it doesn't always work. So, um, but the exchange of information, it, it can be as simple as going into a simple user interface and entering information or having like some sort of automatic, like API hooked up where you're reaching into a supplier system to get information and pump it back to you. So you can understand in real time, their capabilities and they're scored on it. So um, there, there are different ways to, to kind of do it uh, manual versus automatic. What if um, uh, you, you talked about the self-assessments there and you know, we, we mentioned bringing them together. What if the self-assessments are looking at different things? Because obviously, as a purchaser, I'm looking at things through a specific lens and a specific perspective. As a seller, I have a different lens and a different perspective. So even though we may be doing two uh, self-assess self-assessments, you know that, as you say, you know, are probably going to be biased. You know, hey, you know, we're great. Yeah, we'll we're great too. You know, but what if they are literally focusing on two different things? I'd say one that, sees so, something as a risk and one says, no, there isn't a risk. Yeah. yeah I I'd say that, um, n- number one, I think that's, I think that's the norm, um, that, that, you'll get, <laughs> that you'll, you'll get that. Um, and I think that's the importance of weeding through, um, some, some of the data when, when you get it, it's not always, it's not always the, the most accurate on the surface, but one of the things, I mean, there, there are different ways, um, that at least I found helpful to navigate this. And it's, it, it all foundationally starts with relationships. Like our legal teams um, kind of are, are the front line to this, but if for whatever reason they're not, then um, our procurement teams are kind of like right there tied to the hip because we're making a purchase. Um, and that's, that's an entry point to do that. Um, and they're also the negotiators, the contract negotiators, and then hand it over to legal. They're also the um, the um, readiness, uh, the supplier readiness group to make sure that suppliers can meet demand and um, constrict or contract uh, when we need them to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the list goes on and on. But typically, those procurement teams have scorecards that they're they're looking at the capabilities of the supplier um, on an ongoing basis, on a quarterly basis. And as capabilities change, um, that that information in real time or on a quarterly basis can be pumped to the security team so they can see um, there, there was an unauthorized data exposure here, like as an example, that's on the cyber side, but that crosses into supply chain security right off the bat. Um, yeah. And, and, 
we, we didn't find out about it for two weeks. We're supposed to know about it in 24 hours. And that's, and that's um, like a, a performance issue. That's a, that's a compliance issue. That's a security issue. That's a legal issue. That's a lot of things. So anyway, it's, it's interesting when you start peeling stuff back and you start connecting the dots and bringing all the relationships together. Um, and, and that's what my, my function does. It brings everybody together to tell one, one story because you often don't have that. You, you have like 40, 50 different stories and it's hard to, hard to keep track. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with Andrew Owlett today about supply chain security, and we will be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Not enough women are talking about money. Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, Small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking today with Andrew Owlett about supply chain security. Andrew, great first segment, lots of good information in there. I wanted to just uh, quickly touch on something, um, uh, a question that I had uh, with the last little piece you were talking about. You mentioned all these different groups that are involved, um, legal and procurement and you know some other uh, security, depending on what uh, might be uh, happening or not happening. Who owns that whole piece then? Because you 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 mentioned a a couple of key words you know all the time communication and dialogue. So if everybody has their own little piece, mm-hmm. who owns that whole thing to make sure that dialogue and communication is occurring? It's it's an interesting question, and you know, openly when when you provided me the questions that we were going to kind of talk through today, um, that that was the the one that I kind of paused on the most because um, as, as a, as a like entity, like, or who, who owns like just supply chain in general, if you start with that um, there's, 
there's so many different teams involved. Um, but if I narrow it into supply chain security, um, it, it should be a CSO, a chief security officer level responsibility because it crosses over into the physical and cyber side often. And mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a, s- a subspecialty um, within the security discipline, to, to be quite honest. Um, I mean, I, I've never been in a space where uh, I'm crossing over um, intelligence, investigations, crisis management, um, business continuity, um, risk management, risk, um, uh, risk mitigation. Um, <laughs> I mean, like l- quite literally um, every single day. I mean, it crosses over into all of those spaces. Um, <clears throat> but that's in a, that's, that, that would be in a centralized environment. Like I, I work in an organization where we're decentralized. We have um, probably 15 to 20 different procurement teams um, that do not sit under the same roof. Um, we have um, probably hundreds of tech teams, um, uh, m- many legal teams. Like it, it's just a very big de- decentralized organization and bringing people together and finding out that common ground to navigate problems when they come up uh, really just speaks to how it's important to have a playbook um, for, for different types of events and knowing who to launch out a notification to. And this is where I pull from my crisis management days. Like, you know, we have incident X come up. Who do we need to notify? Who needs to be in the loop? Who just needs to be, uh, who needs to take action versus who needs to just be aware of it in case there's future action. Um, and then who's, who's the overall coordinating body of that? Who, who's the mutually agreeable like body for that? And oftentimes that's my team when we're talking about IT supply chain security, we're that central node for information sharing and coordination. We bring everybody together, um, the, the right players when there's an incident that comes up. Um, but that's for my area. Um, if we were centralized, uh, like I said, that, that would fall under, in, in my view, a CSO um, I, I think I think it's so broad and cross-cutting that it needs to be at the C-suite level or have a direct line. I would assume there would be at least a, a somewhere a basic outline that all these teams would follow, you know, to make sure when I get to a certain point in wanting to uh, purchase new software or a new product that at this point I bring in Team XYZ for them to do you know a lot of checks and balances along the way, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, from the pre-procurement phase, like when when a company expresses interest that they even want to do business with the, the primary company, um, having having a, a vendor onboarding process is extremely important and collecting as much data, even though it's uh, user generated and um, it, 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 it's very um, sales focused, uh, um, probably there, there are opportunities to interject some basic like security control questions, mm-hmm. um, uh, whether, whether it's around NIST NIST or I- ISO, or whether it's around, um, specific process questions or capability based questions or sustainability questions, or, I mean, the list goes on and on there, there are opportunities like pre-onboarding, before you even bring somebody on to start the evaluation process to see if they 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 um they they meet your needs but also have the the security controls in place to be able to execute on those needs um i, I actually alex look at it as kind of like a three four five pronged um approach like you you have um a pre-onboarding assessment 
they, they kind of get a little bit closer and they, after they check, check all the boxes there, and then you further evaluate them a little bit. Then you mm-hmm. say, Hey, we have this need. And then you bring them in and you evaluate them again. And then you have continuous monitoring through offboarding for a period of time, even after they're no longer doing business with you. Um, like there's, it's, it's important to uh, keep, keep that loop going um, because you, know, you just never know. Well, I, I can guarantee you've probably been through this uh, because I see it happen all the time. Business, uh, I shouldn't say just business. Sometimes it's uh, IT as well. They want an application or they want a product and they just go go and get it. And they jump above everybody, you know, skipping them, skip by anyone that needs to be involved and just goes and signs a contract. Mm -hmm. How do you manage that when you find out that, Alex went and bought this new product or software and we know nothing about it. And he's coming to us saying, Hey, upload this or, um, you know, set this up or whatever the case would be. How do you handle situations like that? Cause I can guarantee you've probably been through that. We, we live in a world where speed is, is number one and everything else is second. Like uh, I think, I think a lot of folks are like, if I can get this done really, really quick, it shows my boss that I'm doing a really, really good job. Mm. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's for customer obsession. Like you're, you're just, you're, you're trying to do what's best for a customer and you, and oftentimes that's just being really, really quick. Well, where that backfires is um, in, in my world, every single day, um, (laughs) when, when, when you, when you purchase something really quick and you bypass um, processes, controls, evaluation cycles, um, what what you're doing is you're you're not only being careless, um, but you're not thinking longer term. You're thinking very narrow mindedly. Um, you're thinking in the now and not in the future. You bring on a software product and you you try to use it, um, and you know on the surface it's it's what you need. But because it wasn't evaluated, you know, maybe there's some cyber vulnerability underneath of the surface that isn't discovered for weeks, months, years. Mm-hmm. And what what you just did is you 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 earned you earned customer trust rapidly in the beginning, or you you got a really big like accolade um, and pat on the shoulder in the beginning. But if you're still around, and even if you're not. Um, you, you lose credibility really, really quick um, when, when something goes south. So um, brand, brand recognition is on the line at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, if, if, you don't, if you don't put, and also people's, people's personal information is on the line and um, um, a, a lot of stuff is on the line, but most importantly, like personal and company, like brand and that brand and reputation needs needs to be protected and there's there's no room for error there so i i i've seen it to where where people have done that you know just we got this new thing we need you to upload it and it is like what what are you talking about you know security gets involved and you know before you know it you know legal is like what what the heck did you sign (laughs) you know what are you doing (laughs) And Alex, that's on the side that that's more on the software side. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things that that I I find interesting is that on on the physical side, it happens all the time as well. Think of it like um, 
um, instead of going through your procurement team, which could take two weeks, um, you can go to eBay and get it in 48 hours, like, to, like an, a piece of IT hardware or a piece of like or a laptop or a desktop computer or a, a LCD monitor. Like it, again, instead of like two weeks, you can get it in 48 hours and you know, my monitor broke. Well, this is where actually there's a really strong intersection with the work we do with process improvement, because as a security element, our, our, one of our goals is to not slow people down, even though it may seem like that. Um, mm-hmm. just, just because you put controls in place doesn't mean that you have to extend out the process two to four weeks. Yeah, if you have a service level agreement or an agreed upon time to, to do something in two weeks, adding a control that um, you know can run in parallel or inter- interjecting one step in the an existing process that takes thirty seconds to a minute that saves heartache longer term could be could be the opportunity there um, to to show some real big value. Um, also, number two, I, I go back to pre onboarding. Like just doing a lot of work before a vendor is even onboarded can speed up those those security controls and processes um, over time. So there there are ways to get around it that a security function isn't looked at as a bottleneck. It's looked at as an enabler. And that's kind of what we're trying to shift the language to. You just mentioned something I was going to to ask you about. If you have an existing vendor that you're dealing with, whether they're delivering something electronically or a physical product, um, if you're getting a second or third product or service from them, do you go through the same steps? Should you go through some of those same steps? Because just because one product or or um, service is good, it doesn't mean yeah. it's matches you know, with, with the other one that, you know, there could be deficiencies there. Yeah. So, um, so there's, there's different approaches that, that one can take. Um, I, I think, I think what I like to say is starting out, um, if somebody's building a program from scratch, um, sometimes you have to start out macro and then go micro. And what I mean by that is sometimes you have to start out with um, doing a company assessment and then, after, uh, after you kind of do a company onboarding and assessment, you break that down into specific product categories based on criticality of them or perceived criticality, and then you assess them, and then you work your way down. It can be methodical, but at the end of the day, um, anything that touches a network or touches um, a, a person um, need, needs to be evaluated for their own set of vulnerabilities. Every piece of hardware, software, um, end user equipment, infrastructure equipment is different. Um, they all pose different different types of risk. So it's important to assess um, each one individually. I would assume that periodically you would also have to assess the vendor, right? Because, yeah. you know, I could sit here for years, but it doesn't mean that you know, I'm staying up uh, to speed on uh, new security measures that are coming out, new uh, procurement measures that are out there or regulations or anything like that. I need to be reviewed as well, not just my product and service, right? Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah for, for sure. Um, and, and oftentimes that's like the first check mark in, in my eyes. Like if be, before you even get to products, like products are products and the, the capability a product provides is extremely important, of course. But if the company is not ethical and mm. um, as an example, if a company is using forced labor, 
Uh, that's that's a big hot topic right now with a lot of legislation across the world um, in the EMEA region and the Americas region, like being released um, that um, companies cannot use forced labor to create products, period, end of story. And if you are, it's going to be detained, you're going to be fined and you're going to be blasted on the media. So yeah. um, that that's why like at the at the top level, like as I say, like at the company level, it's important to look at the company. Um, especially in those instances. And that's one of many. Um, So um, like company ethics, extremely important Um, company financial history um, and stability or lack of stability, super important. Um, And that translates into company credit ratings uh, on, uh, especially on the the publicly traded side, but also there are ways to get around that on the privately uh, owned side as well. Um, Who, who has ownership? Um, that, that could be a big determining factor as well for whether you do business with a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the list uh, goes, goes on and on. Um, uh, there's, there's probably about 14 different categories that, that I would look at at the company level um, to assess if a company is a good one to work. Do you look at that on an annual basis or you know, every couple of years? Or Lord forbid, you wait till something happens before you even look. Yeah. So this, this is where like um, you, you kind of have to use like a little bit of a risk, risk, like based approach. Um, and you also have to be frugal because like all this costs money and time. Right. And we don't have a finite number of resources. And even if you use tech, it still costs money. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just the reality of things. Um, but I say all of that because um, it, 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 Depends. Um, if initially um, during an investigation before we're bringing a company or a supplier on board, you know they're rated at a medium, medium high or high high risk. Um, critical is is a no go right off the bat. Um, but um, if they're rated like really, really high at, um, uh, on our on our spectrum, um, their their reevaluation time is a lot closer together than somebody mm. that maybe that is a medium medium to low type of risk. Um, the biggest caveat is um, there, there are some there are some rails in there. So um, if if there's a reported incident um, that that not only changes their overall risk score, but it changes the evaluation criteria as well um, across the board for any interconnected suppliers. So um, so it it kind of kind of depends. We have an atypical type of uh, evaluation matrix matrix that we use um, with a whole bunch of different criteria, but at a minimum, it's at least biannually. Um, so twice a year, um, just, just, to, and if I had my, my way about it and we had unlimited funds, it would be re- recurring every 24 hours, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, that costs a lot of money. So. But that's a good point because you said earlier on that things change so fast that, you know, that it, it is, you know, 20, every 24 hours may sound crazy, but things change so fast that it's actually a legitimate response, right? You know, you, you really do need to be able to do those reviews as frequently as possible. Yeah, for, for sure. And it, it ultimately comes down to resource constraints and financing and stuff like that. Yeah. Like not, not everybody has unlimited amount of money. Uh, nobody does. Um, but, but especially in this space, like it's, it's often, it's often extremely difficult to, to justify like a quantitative business value because you you don't want to say that company X um, 
released X amount of data and it costs like that, that's a bad news story. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like that. And, and oftentimes that's why um, security functions um, uh, have, have struggles to, to justify their existence. Um, but at the end of the day, like it, it all goes back to customer trust and um, customer promises and um, security as a function needs to be embedded in the supply chain early. Um, yeah. So, on that note, we've come to the end of segment two. Today, we're talking about supply chain security with Andrew Owlett, and we will be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out sayaskillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking about supply chain security today with Andrew Owlett. Andrew, lots of great information in that second segment and the first segment. In this last uh, segment that we've got here, I'd like to talk about um, something that you mentioned back in the first segment, actually, is controls. So how do you go about validating these controls and testing, you know, testing with uh, vendors? Um, you know, how do you how do you handle that? So for 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 me, it's it's really a three-pronged approach, one super reactive and two more proactive. So let me, let me go through the first reactive one. Um, in real time, <laughs> um, real-time validation um, as, as um, whether the threat landscape changes and, um, you know, the controls are actively tested, um, um, tested past like uh, an initial testing phase, um, and then iterated on uh, that's number one. Number two, um, internally focusing on testing controls. That means like in internally, uh, uh, your company um, by setting up a regular cadence of here are 
all of the controls we have. Here's our testing schedule on an annual basis or biannual basis or quarterly basis, depending on the, the, the importance of the controls, um, kind of setting that schedule. And then third is externally faced it, face, facing with vendors. So setting up a process where you are working hand in hand with the vendor to validate whether a control is um, good, whether it's bad, um, or validating vendor capability. Now, I will caveat that the external facing control testing um, is extremely time extensive um, and requires a lot of legwork. Um, and why? Because when you're bringing two companies together that are not under the same umbrella, um, you know, they, they do not want to share oftentimes vulnerability. Yeah. Um, so being, being very, very um, with what you're going to do and almost like scripting it out is, is like one of the only ways that I've done it successfully. Um, there's, there, there's a point in time also that, um, you have to transfer risk. Um, I mean, you know, at, at the at the end of the day, um, you know, all of all everything we're talking about are risk, um, like risk, they're the risk mitigation strategies, and mm-hmm. um, you know, some sometimes um, you you have to just say, you know, this is this is your area. Um, you, you're you're going to take ownership. You're going to run with it, and. If anything happens, these these are the repercussions, and sometimes you have to do that. And uh, in in that instance, um, it, it may be the the path of least resistance, and um, also the maybe the best path. How do you follow up though? You know, if you are saying you know this is your risk, you know you've got to fix this. How do you follow up that that's actually happening? Do you do another test, or do you just take it on faith? you know, um, that they handed you a, uh, a report that said, yeah, we did it, but okay. Saying something is not the same thing as doing something. So yeah. how do you go about following up on something that to make sure that it, you know, all the controls really are working, especially when you're doing it with a vendor. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, to be honest, sometimes it may have to be on good faith. Um, and, and you kind of, um, you kind of have to accept that or um, like a mechanism that that's been quite helpful is being integrated into like business review meetings where like these, these types of things are discussed or like supplier constraints are discussed and just being embedded in the right room with the right set of people can add some, some really good context to, to maybe why um, a supplier isn't, um, implementing your control or how they're implementing it or whether um, wh- whether they're going to have like problems implementing it. So like, I-, I think this goes back to like just a foundational like principle and that's building trust early with, mm. with not, not only vendors, but internal teams, um, having a seat at the right table um, and being involved in recurring conversations just to listen in Um and again, that that's all time consuming too. So, I mean, you have to divide and conquer your time. We have 24 hours in a day, um, you know, and we, we have a, a certain amount of work 
that we want to accomplish in a day. So if you have 12 vendor calls and you still have a day job to do X, Y, and Z, like how do you balance that? So um, I, I think just being right seat at the right table, um, also having um, the, the right connections early on and the right relationships built can really help here. And I guess that may, will make it easier to schedule some of these validation exercises and tests too. If you've got the right relationships and the right people at the table, then it'll be easier to coordinate to get people, you know, it, you know if you've got two uh, VPs of IT, well, two VPs of IT are not going to be the ones doing the test. But if they have a good relationship and they, they trust each other and they're both at the right table or the right Zoom call, <laughs> whatever it may be, they're going to be able to delegate um, together and say, yeah, we can commit to that in the next two two months, right? If that actually helps. For, for sure. And so, <clears throat> so there's something interesting also that I picked up on, and, and I don't know if it's coincidence or or if it's just unique um, to, to, to my environment, but sometimes um, I have had companies that, that really want to work together in this space and they, they approach me wanting to work together, which historically, to be honest, has been extremely unusual, but I, I actually think it's a strategic enabler for the company to want to work closely because it shows, um, it shows a stronger partnership like it shows that they're not just in it for for one day that they actually want to be like a good a good partner like longer term um, mm. and it could it could help them as well with with other business um like i mean it's it's not only like with business with me but it's also business with other companies like if they can show that how they work together and how they validate things on their end, how they implement controls to ensure like the security element um, is taken care of within their business. Um, I, I think that's I think that's a great marketing and branding story for them. Um, yeah. So I I kind of uh, and I also understand the hesitation though. I I keep going back and forth, but the hesitation is that you're legally holding yourself to to something that. Maybe you don't want to, and legal teams get freaked out about that. So, um, I mean, it it may maybe maybe it's a you know premature commitment of money toward controls that you know haven't been discussed, or maybe it's against like their security methodology that they have. Um, it, it could be a number of things. Um, um, but yeah, it's just an it, it's an interesting space. I have had people approach me though to to want to work together more closely and it's like yeah let's do it let's figure out a way <laughs> yeah yeah why wouldn't why would you not you know when you got people doing that it, exactly i say often that um anything we do across the resilient space uh security and resilient space um or really anything you do uh, at work or in life it's a team sport and mm -hmm. um i i get it that sometimes like it, it's harder to be a team when you have um, a lot of little chiefs um, kind of saying what you can and cannot do. It, it can be a little bit difficult to navigate, but um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're dealing with people or we're mm -hmm. dealing with people um, that, that are external to us that you know are innocent and um, you know, we just need to be cognizant of that and have their best interests in mind. And that, 
to me is working together. Well, we only have about four minutes left. Uh, can you take three minutes with any final thoughts or maybe some quick tips that you might want to share uh, with people that are out there that maybe they could quickly take back and have a look at their own processes? So like, like I said in the beginning, I, I was born out of emergency response and crisis management, business continuity. Um, and uh, oh, throughout my career, I, I've learned about um, different facets that, that have... Um, that have really complemented everything that I've done. And uh, my, my biggest word of advice to people is, you know, in this space, you can harness like all of those cross-functional skills across the resilience discipline and bring, bring that together to, to understand like your physical and cyber risk um, in the supply chain space. So if somebody's interested in it, they can always hit me up, but um, I, I would, I would, um, totally raise your hand, assess the space, get into the space, work with people in this space, because um, it's, it, it's not getting enough attention. I, I don't think across the board and across the industry, and it needs to, because th this is where threats will come from. Um, it's where or, we're- Or that attention is so narrow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we, we, we need to get ahead of it. We need to um, dedicate the time to it, uh, energy and resources to it. Um, so yeah, definitely get in there and start asking supply chain questions and I'm happy to help you with that. Yeah. And, and not just, uh, as you said at the very beginning, you know, it can be products, uh, services in the physical form and uh, electronic form. Yeah. I, I think, um, when people hear the word security these days, people think of one of two things, the security guard wandering around the building or the IT guy, um, you know, with open eyes, uh, checking for malware and ransomware. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, and that's, um, you know, that's a common perception for sure. I, I, I love that example, Alex, because, um, that that's exactly what this space that I live in every day is. It, it's it's both. It's it's securing the package and securing the Ethernet um, around the, the software. Um, so I mean, it's it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of the show, Andrew. Thanks very much for sharing uh, your thoughts and a lot of uh, interesting insights here with uh, supply management uh, security. And, and as I said, you know, a lot of look at it as uh, supply chain management, but the, the security aspect of it doesn't get talked about a lot. So I'm glad that uh, you were able to find the time and come and share your expertise with us on that piece. No problem, Alex. Thanks for having me. And I hope everybody enjoyed today. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, run into you somewhere at uh, one of these upcoming conferences. <laughs> Sir, look forward to it. Great. Thanks again. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.